0: Section Nine of Heroines of Fiction by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Nine. Scott's Jeanie Deans and Cooper's Lack of Heroines. The nature of Scott's heroines is such that the choice of this one or that as the most representative is a question of intellectual preference rather than of passion and could hardly rouse feeling in any but their duly appointed lovers fortunately for scott he does not live by them one cannot quite say that without them he would still be one of the greatest novelists and chief of the great romancers but one may very safely say that such general impression as one keeps of his fiction is not strengthened by a vivid sense of these ladies only now and then and here and there are they essential to the lasting effect one recalls them vaguely and with an effort they are not voluntarily constant to the fancy like the women of flackery of george eliot of charles reed even of dickens and of some other more modern novelists above all mr hardy in the imaginary world of scott's creation woman remained as subordinate as he found her in the civic world about him he invented a man's world and perhaps because women did not come into their rights in it his man's world has now mostly lapsed to a boy's world where there is little need of the glamour which women cast upon life One, i have already noted one chief exception to the prevailing nullity of scott's heroines in the sad reality of lucy ashton and i shall hardly contrary any critical reader in suggesting jeanie deans as another no characters could well be more strongly contrasted and one cannot think of them without feeling that in this direction as in so many others scott's performance was a very imperfect measure of his possibility if he had not been driven to make quantity what quality might not he have given us if he had not had the burden of telling a story upon him how much more he might have told us of life if he had not felt bound to portray swashbucklers with what gracious and touching portraits of womanhood might not he have enriched his page the man himself was so modest and single of heart that the secret of the ever womanly would gladly have imparted itself to him if he had not been as it were too shy to suffer the confidence whenever he caught some hint of it by chance how clearly he set it down but for the most part as i have already said these chances addressed him from low life gentlewomen seem rarely to have confided their more complex natures to him for once indeed he saw a lucy ashton in the plain air of day where many lucy ashtons dwell and have dwelt and not less importantly he saw jeanie deans but it was more in his way to see such as jeanie than to see such as lucy and i cannot help thinking it was less an achievement to have fixed her presence lastingly in the reader's consciousness such as she is however she stands foremost i believe in the critical appreciation of scott's heroines and it will be useless to oppose the figure of effie dean's as somewhat unfairly overshadowed by her jeanie has the great weight of moral sentiment on her side and yet i have a fancy that scott himself if he could really have been got at would have owned he thought it a little finer to keep effie impenitently true to herself throughout than to show jeanie equal to the burden which her sister's lightness cast upon her at any rate it seems to me an effect of great mastery once more surprising than now to let us see that effie was always the same nature in the shame of her unlawful motherhood in the stress of her trial for the crime against her child's life which she was guiltless of in the horror of the scaffold to which she was unjustly doomed and in the rebound from the danger and disgrace when jeanie's devotion had won her release from both she was wrought upon by the passing facts but not changed in her nature by them as jeanie was not changed in hers we judge one another so inadequately and unfairly in the actual world however that beings of the imaginary world must not expect better treatment there is here the light nature will be condemned for the deeds done in it as if they were done in a serious nature and a serious nature will be honoured for truth to itself as if it had overcome in this the weakness of a light nature especially among all peoples of anglo-saxon birth and breeding will the same inflexible measure of morality be applied and the characterization of one who has done nobly will be thought greater than that of one who has not done nobly two in this i hope i am not giving the notion that i wish to undervalue the character of jeanie deans as a piece of art i value it above that of any other woman except lucy ashton or except effie deans in all scott's romances but that is saying less than i should like in praise of it her character grows upon you as no doubt it grew upon scott himself who must have found that he had something constantly greater and truer in hand than he first imagined the simple girl matures slowly into shapeliness and strength much as the straggling story of the heart of midlothian itself does and it is not till her young sister's misfortune and the suspicion of child murder begins to blacken about the hapless effie that jeanie shows the force of a heroine she stands nearest the covenanter conscience of their doer old father and she stands between his conscience and her sister's blame when it comes to that with a hold upon the reader's heart that tightens to suffocation at that awful moment in court when her helpless truth gives away her sister's life the intensity of this feeling for her increases rather than lessens after effie's sentence when jeanie goes up to london alone and unfriended to sue for the king's mercy it is finally shown how she does not change but enlarges in character to the measure of her tremendous mission through all her difficulties and dangers and in every demand upon her truth to herself and faith in her sister's innocence of the crime which effie is doomed to die for she is still the same plain scotch country body that we saw her at first of a presence which the author is too wise to flatter she was short and rather too stoutly made for her size her grey eyes light-coloured hair a round good-humoured face much tanned by the sun and her only peculiar charm was an air of inexpressible serenity which a good conscience kind feelings contented temper and the regular discharge of all her duties spread over her features in this figure she visits the duke of argyle the embodiment to her unworldliness of all worldly greatness under royalty and wins his promise to help her see the king not only her calm wholesome goodness her sore tried love for her sister and her innocent naivete appear in the interview but there are charming hints of the scotch canniness which qualifies and quickens her virtues if it is indeed not one of them i wad hey putin on a cap sir said jeanie when argyle bids her go dressed as she is to the audience he has got for her but your honour knows it is the fashion of my country for single women and i judge that being say mony hundred miles frae home your grace's heart wad warm to the tartan looking at the corner of her plaid you judged quite right said the duke m'callimore's heart will be as cold as death can make it when it does not warm to the tartan now go away and do not be out of the way when i send there is little fear of that sir but if i might say to your gracious honour that if ye ever condescend to speak to any ain that is of greater degree than yourself, though maybe it isna civil in me to say say just if ye wad think there cannot be any sick odds as between poor genie deans of st leonard's and the duke of argyle and so dinn't be chappit back or cast down by the first rough answer i am not apt said the duke laughing to mind rough answers much i will do my best but god has the hearts of kings in his own hand the incidents of jeanie's audience with caroline whom the girl does not know for the queen till the end when caroline gives her a little needle-book for remembrance are of note too common for reproduction but i like so much a pretty touch in her ensuing conversation with argyle that i wish i could believe myself the first to feel it and that letty was the queen herself said jeanie i misdoubted it when i saw your honour didn't I put on your hat it was certainly queen caroline have you no curiosity to see what is in the little pocket-book do you think the pardon will be in it said jeanie with the eager animation of hope why no they seldom carry these things about them and besides her majesty told you it was the king not she who was to grant it that is true said jeanie but i am so confused in my mind in such slight things such casual lateral touches the master shows himself rather than in what scott called the big bow-bow and abandoned himself to alas so much because the big bow-bow is so pleasing a student of human nature will find more of jeanie in these than in the signal moments of the story where she has the heroine's official part to play as he will find more of effie in her flying with her lover when her pardon comes without staying jeanie's return than in the incidents of her imprisonment and trial it is from a yet deeper and bolder knowledge of the heart that the author ventures to show when effie is married and comes back a lady of rank to visit poor jeanie that they both perceive how little they have in common and willingly part again still that is a great scene a piece of mighty drama at the trial when jeanie is called to testify concerning effie under the atrocious law which judged the mother guilty of her child's death if this happened because she had not sought the needed help in the hour of her agony and dishonour it was the hope of the defence that effie might be shown to have trusted jeanie with her secret and the poor prisoner instantly started up and stretched herself half-way over the bar toward the side at which her sister was to enter and when slowly following the official the witness advanced to the foot of the table effie with the whole expression of her countenance altered from that of confused shame and dismay to an eager imploring and almost ecstatic earnestness of entreaty with outstretched hand hair streaming back eyes raised eagerly to her sister's face and glistening through tears exclaimed in a tone that went to the heart of all who heard her oh genie genie save me save me old deans drew himself still further back under cover of the bench so that his venerable form was no longer visible fair brother effie's counsel saw the necessity of letting the witness compose herself in his heart he suspected that she came to bear false witness in her sister's cause he asked whether she had not remarked her sister's state of health to be altered and she told you the cause of it my dear i suppose take courage speak out i asked her replied jeanie what ailed her very well take your own time and what was the answer she made jeanie was silent and looked deadly pale it was not that she at any one instant entertained an idea of the possibility of prevarication it was the natural hesitation to extinguish the last spark of hope that remained for her sister take courage young woman said fair brother i asked what she said ailed her when you inquired nothing answered jeanie with a faint voice which was yet distinctly heard in the most distant corner of the court-room such an awful and profound silence had been preserved fairbrother's countenance fell nothing true you mean nothing at first but when you asked her again did she not tell you what ailed her the question was put in a tone meant to make her comprehend the importance of her answer with less pause than at first she now replied alack, alack she never breathed a word to me about it a deep groan passed through the court it was echoed by one deeper and more agonized from the unfortunate father and the venerable old man fell forward senseless with his head at the foot of his terrified daughter the unfortunate prisoner strove with the guards let me gang to my father i will gang to him he is dead he is killed i hae killed him even in this moment of agony Jeanie does not lose that superiority which a deep and firm mind assures to its possessor he is my father he is our father she mildly repeated to those who endeavoured to separate them as she stooped shaded aside his grey hairs and began assiduously to chafe his temples three the loose inaccurate and ineffectual languaging of this scene is partially concealed by the condensation of the foregoing passages i know that to many it will seem irreverence little short of sacrilege to speak of scott's work in these terms but truth is more precious than sentiment and no harm but much help can come from recognizing the facts in verse scott was a master of diction compact clear simple in prose at least the prose of his novels he was shapeless tautological heavy infirm wandering melodramatic and over literary the incident however is here so nobly imagined that the readers held above the course of its feeble and inadequate realisation and shares with the author in the greatness of his concept it is quite useless to pretend otherwise and one has only to think how tolstoy for instance or Turgenev would have presented the scene in order to feel the vast imperfection the deficiency in surplus of scott's treatment but the world has done him justice in such things and where his idea is great it has measured him by the affluence of his concept and not by the poverty of his product he was of an age which was over literary and which the influence of his era was making more and more so his era was not wholly his it was largely the effect of precedent conditions but it was not the necessary effect he fell into it because it was easy and offered itself to his hurry and his careless hand as a ready means of satisfying a public ignorant of truth and indifferent to beauty artifice can hide the lack of art melodrama can conceal the absence of drama and the time for which scott wrote really preferred artifice and melodrama in an admirable essay on the romances of charles brockton brown the first american novelist to give us standing in the world of fiction colonel t w higginson justly notes in defence of brown's turgidity that the general style of the period was itself melodramatic one has only to read over the private letters of any educated family of that period to see That people did not then express themselves as they do now that they were far more ornate in utterance more involved in statement more impassioned in speech all this is very true but it is also true that in spite of the common tendency there was a strong lucid undercurrent back to nature in the writings of authors whose excellence scott himself generously recognised he praised these as his superiors and it is hard in the face of his fine modesty to blame him for not emulating their sanity and verity but he must be blamed for doing what he knew better than to do and the student of his work will always be to blame if he fails to declare that with all his moral virtues scott in fiction was of a low aesthetic ideal he consciously preferred with his great poetic soul the folly and the falsity of the romantic to the beauty of the natural and he wittingly however unwillingly extended the realm of anne radcliffe rather than the realm of jane austen it was easier to do this far easier for the true the only beautiful is exigent of patience and of pains that scott would not or could not give whether he could not or would not he made it harder for his contemporaries and successors to be of a higher ideal than that by which he won his immense success i believe the badness of scott's prose and fiction is owing to the lowness of his ideal rather than to the general style of his own period sometimes the greatness of a concept can show through the hollow and pompous forms of the product but this happens rarely what happens often is that the artificiality of the product is a fair expression of the concept this is true of the work of scott's greatest follower and disciple james fenimore cooper it would be pleasant to believe that he was of his own initiative but it would not be true and though cooper was so far original through his patriotism as to prefer american scenes and themes in his fiction he most distinctly was because scott had been his literature was both better and worse than scott's it was more compact and more dramatic no doubt from his more strenuous temperament but it lacked that depth of humanity which one always feels under scott's turbid surfaces and it is wholly without the sweet play of his humour the sudden flashes of his inspiration so far as i know it his romance has never the grace that scott wins now and again for his from the presence of a genuine heroine but on this point i was willing to own myself not very well fitted to judge since my knowledge of cooper was at best vague and of remote date and in my misgiving i turned to a literary friend who had made rather a special study of him and entreated him to help me out with a heroine from him he answered in effect that the heroines of cooper did not exist even in the imagination of his readers there were certain figures in his pages always introduced as females and of such an extremely conventional and lady-like deportment in all circumstances that you wished to kill them but he added in a magnanimous despair that if i would i might read the last of the mohicans and possibly come away with a heroine i have just finished the book with a true regret that i was not a boy of fourteen or else a man in the second quarter of the century when i read it but i have not come away with a heroine this is not because i have killed either cora Munroe or her sister alice but since i am guiltless of their death i am glad they are dead long ago i read several romances of charles brockton brown but of those dreams nothing more remains to me now than of some that i dream myself about the year eighteen hundred and seventy five certainly no shadow of a heroine remains from them and i am sure that if there had been the shadow of a heroine in them she would have remained in fact the heroine of a romantic novel seldom does or can remain with the reader for the plain reason that she seldom exists apparently the ever womanly refuses herself to the novelist who proposes anything but truth to nature apparently she cannot trust him she may not always be so very sincere herself but she requires sincerity in the artist who would take her likeness and it is only in the fiction of one who faithfully reports his knowledge of things seen that she will deign to show her face to let her divine presence be felt that is the highest and best fiction and her presence is the supreme evidence of its truth to the whole of life end of section nine